Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. I'm Brad Watson, and this is part five of our series on everyday disciples living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. In this series, we've interviewed disciples from across Soma, Los Angeles, disciples in missional communities uh, seeking to make Jesus known in every part of their life, as well as be part of a community and live life growing up in the fruit of the gospel. These disciples are a lot like you. They all have dreams and passions, jobs, responsibilities, and that simultaneous calling to be sent ones by God into all the places that God has given them. In each episode, we're talking to disciples that have a unique role or vocation in life. Our hope is that you'll be incredibly encouraged just hearing these stories, but also that you'll grow in your appreciation for the different places that God puts disciples, and that you'll know how to encourage others in your community. And lastly, that you'll be inspired, that you will know that whatever place God's put you, or whatever circumstance, or whatever job, God has put you there for a purpose. And that not only are you going to see his mission grow through that place, but also God will be on mission to you. That you will be hearing the gospel, you'll be rooted in your identity, that you'll grow up in Christ while you continually share the gospel with those around you. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the justice system, and I'll be talking with a good friend, Ryan, who's a public defender and missional community leader here at SOMA. He's a normal guy, and this is his story. Let's dive in. This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Thanks, Ryan, for joining us today on your lunch break. You're welcome. Uh, as you're running around uh, to different courthouses. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Of course. And, thanks for uh, having me. One of the things we want to do is uh, help people understand their, their stories and how they kind of got where they are today. So talking to you just sort of specifically about your career as an attorney in Los Angeles, how did that come about? How have you seen kind of God shape that story for you? Yeah, it was a lot of little providential moments that brought me to where I am now. And I'm really excited with where God has brought me. It really feels like a calling. But as I look back over how I got here, I can really see his fingerprints all over it. I mean, I think, first of all, I was working uh, just a normal IT type job when I first moved to Los Angeles after a couple of years, at least. And I found it challenging and uh, worthwhile. I think at that point, I didn't have a, a really great theology of work. And I definitely longed for more meaning, which I think a lot of people uh, long for, for meaning in their work. And I'd been kind of transformed over the last couple of years before that, based on some stuff my wife was doing, she did a Teach for America, and I saw her love for the poor and the marginalized. And I really, uh, it was starting to transform the way I thought about those people. And I wanted to be a part of that too. And it wasn't really happening in the, the job that I was doing. So along the way, I sort of identified, you know, my skill set would work well as a lawyer, but I wasn't sure if I could really make the jump. And then in 2008, I was actually laid off from an IT job in the finance sector. Mm. 
so they had a massive layoff at that time and it sort of was God just sort of kicking me in the the pants to, to make the jump. And it worked out really well because I had started the process of applying to law schools, but I actually was undecided. And I, I said, I'm not sure if I'm going to make the leap or not. Hmm. And I had called uh, the law school I ended up going to was USC here in LA. And I had called them and said, you know, I, I want to defer this decision for a year while I continue to work this other job. And it was, I think it was June of that year. And I was, I was let go. And so I called them back and I said, can I please come this year instead? <laughs> and they, they, they let me sneak in. So it's one of those moments where I can really see hmm. uh, God kind of carving a path forward for me. Um, and then once I got there, I knew I was committed to using that, that opportunity, that vocation towards helping the marginalized. And so I was on the lookout as soon as I arrived to see what that would look like. I thought it was going to be the homeless or housing law at first. Hmm. And then I ended up really falling in love with what I do now, which is I'm a public defender here in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's, that is pretty awesome. And maybe just sort of describe, like, what does that look like to be a public defender in Los Angeles? Probably no such thing as a typical day, but maybe like a typical week and, and workload. And what is the work, I guess, of a public defender? Yeah, so to be a public defender means that if someone is accused of a crime and can't afford a lawyer, there's one appointed by the state, which is me, the county in this instance. And so I get assigned a number of clients and I've had different assignments through the, the approximate five years I've been working in this role, but it's, it's always the same process of, of getting to meet the person and we're in court um, every day, uh, which is very distinct from the daily experience of a lot of attorneys and very exhilarating because we're before judges, we're making arguments and thinking on your feet. And then of course, I love the, idea that I'm the one there for my clients, that I have a client that I can really reaffirm their humanity, um, you know, just really taking time to to connect with them, see how they're doing and let them know that somebody's fighting on their side because it can be incredibly isolating to be charged with a, cl- a crime. People often don't give that presumption of innocence and instead sort of uh, stigmatize a person who's even accused. And so being able to step in and really restore their, their dignity or at least affirm it in some way is a really powerful thing hmm. uh, that I get to do on a daily basis, which I really enjoy. Hmm. Yeah. And so then you're, yeah, you're meeting with your clients, you're developing cases of defense for them and then advocating for their good. Right. One of the most uh, exciting parts about that is getting to do actual jury trials where they bring in 12 people from the community and you do the whole thing you see on TV and it can be really exhausting but also just really exhilarating and really powerful. And the emotions are very, it can be very extreme in that if you are successful and your client prevails and you were doing that with them, it can be very uh, exciting. And then of course, uh, as public defenders, we very often are on the other side of that decision and they're now facing a sentencing from anything from a misdemeanor to, you know, being in prison for a number of years for a felony. And that can be something that you sort of wear with them. The, The empathy sort of bleeds over and you, can really uh, take some hits. I think it's important to really know where your your position of strength is coming from, why you do the work, and how you sustain yourself in it. Because a lot of my colleagues can burn out, and of course, I've felt the emotional exhaustion of that too. Of knowing somebody that you've built this relationship with, their life is you know inalterably changed as they're going away from their families and their communities for a period of time. Yeah, and forever. Yeah, forever marked by that as well. Exactly. 
yeah, you know, you said you kind of got into it thinking you might do something with housing law or caring for the homeless through the legal system. And now you're kind of on the that, that front lines of, of defending people who cannot afford an attorney. It's kind of a, a remarkable way of stepping into this huge section of our city that really can't, <laughs> they're not the OJ Simpsons of the world, I guess, who can hire the like 20 attorneys to defend them. Right. That's amazing. I had an experience uh, for a while. I was working in a misdemeanor court that ended up having a lot of homeless prosecutions. It was a nice way of connecting back to some of that early passion and the connection with the homeless community that I've been working with through other parts of my life and working with a nonprofit organization. So I was able to represent a lot of those folks in court. And then I would actually see some of them at a shelter that we would go and work with on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And it was this really cool symbiosis of more of a whole picture of, of helping these folks out and knowing their stories when we're sitting down for eating the meal with them at the shelter. It was, that was incredibly fulfilling. I'm not in that assignment anymore, but I really value the time that I got to, to spend there with them. Yeah, that is, uh, that's amazing. I never knew that. That's so cool. You work in the center of the city in Los Angeles doing this. Uh, you have a really wonderful family also. Four boys and Becky, your your wife, who's brilliant, compassionate, and all on her own right. And and you've also, as you've done all of this as a, as a public defender, you've also been a, a huge leader within our church all of these years too. How does that whole thing work together? Like your your family, your children that you're discipling, uh, making disciples in the community, and also your vocation. How does that intersection? work itself out hmm. yeah i think it's all complimentary um it's nice having a job that i really feel is grounded in my faith and is driven by it um that really allows me to make things like discipleship of my kids neighbors everyone a little bit more straightforward because one of the first questions people always ask is you know what do you do mm-hmm. and it often gives me a platform just to share my motivations for why I became a public defender, why I'm serving poor, why I'm making presumably less money than I could if I was just in the, uh, the private sector or the, you know, mm-hmm. the big law firms. Um, and oddly enough, I think as a public defender, I think my capacity is actually a little bit more than it might have been in other legal professions, which is part of right. what made it, made it attractive. But I get every other Friday off as part of working for the county in a 980 type schedule. And I think people sort of realize that there's an unlimited amount of work we could be doing for our clients, but in order to be able to do it for an extended period of time, you sort of have to pace yourself and triage. And so Mm -hmm. there's an acknowledgement in the culture, I think somewhat of saying, you know, you need to make sure that you're able to keep doing this. um, And that frees up some more time to be with family, to not miss, you know, T-ball games or be with everyone on the weekend, not being called away. Cause that, that is the reality for a lot of my classmates from law school, especially in the first couple of years is being constantly on call. Um, right. On the other hand, once I'm engaged in a trial or something big comes up, it can be all consuming. And I think even more than the hours you have to log, other lawyers will call them billable hours, but just, you know, that the time you spend physically doing a task, the, uh, the mental weight of some of our work, I think can be pretty heavy. Right. Um, but circling back to your original question, I think, you know, if, once I get to start talking about, what I'm doing, I can share that it's really getting a chance to live out my faith. Um, and it's a chance to 
I was talking earlier about looking people in the eye. I mean, I think that's the, uh, the process of calling out we're all made in God's image and person mm-hmm. is worthwhile and has dignity and worth. That's something that I get to do in a very profound way um, each day. And then being an advocate in the courtroom or for a person, I mean, that living out what Christ did for us. I mean, cosmically, I'm accused before the Father and I need an advocate to step in. That refraction or reflection of the gospel for me is, is what keeps me motivated and keeps me going. And obviously, it's not a complete picture. I don't take the sentence for my clients like Christ right. did for me, but it is really powerful. And it, I often get to talk about that sometimes with clients, if it's appropriate in a conversation and with neighbors mm-hmm. or whoever. And so that's been really, really rewarding. Hmm. Yeah, I can see how that, uh, the weight and the hope and the motivation of that would just be such a driver. Yeah. Yeah, because I think even, you know, if you empathize and put yourself in that situation, maybe you do a crime or you're wrongfully accused or or you're going through that and someone you don't even know who's you've ne- yeah, never met uh shows up, greets you and says, "I'm going to I'm going to work for you within the whole bounds of this this system." And look them in the eye and get to know them. That's just like a, a powerful evidence of grace in our city. Even that's just so counter kind of to how everyone works in our city. At least that's how it, it feels at, at times, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was listening to someone talk the other day about uh, the notorious four-way stop sign. They're everywhere, right? And how <laughs> the, the politics of what gets played out at the four-way stop sign, it's Usually the person in the Tesla or the BMW or the Lexus, they, they're the ones that, that skip turns, you know, but the person in the Honda Civic or the Ford Focus, they're, the, they're like, they're getting skipped over or the Nissan pickup truck, you know, like that's kind of like the, the low bar. And, it, and it's just interesting The there's just such a, a disparity or at least everyone just looking out for themselves, I guess. And yet what you're doing with your job is, is looking out for people who, who don't have anyone who can step up and look out for them. Yeah. And I think there's also this, this broader conception of, of justice. Um, you read about in scripture that I think I struggled for a long time trying to figure out between justice and mercy. I really felt like mercy was more the public defender's role and maybe justice was the DA's role. And I, people would say, you know, you're fighting for justice. I'm like, well, not exactly. I think as I got into a deeper understanding of the biblical idea of justice, I really see how what I'm doing is God's concept of justice, of of righting some of the broader wrongs as well in society. And, you know, I have somewhat a unique role of of calling out systemic injustices or even bad actors that are actively sometimes oppressing folks who are marginalized, you know, whether it's illegal searches or fudging the truth or um, different things like that, that maybe law enforcement is um, involved in, you know, that's a part of my role too. And that can be pretty exciting. Um, I mean, I think the public defender generally isn't, um, at least on individual cases, changing things for the whole city. But in another sense, we kind of are because we're the, the last sort of check, making sure that there's not abuses going on, even for those clients that I have that, you know, are absolutely good for what they're accused of. Sometimes their rights are being violated in a way that not only harms them, but harms everyone because they're involved in some systemic practices that are being borne out in these communities that are don't have a, a way to fight back. And so mm-hmm. we kind of work on that role as well. And that can be pretty exciting as well. And just the whole concept of, 
of bringing God justice in that sense is, is exciting. Yeah, that's, it's super exciting. And I can imagine too, often unseen, probably like, even like you were saying, like one case probably isn't transforming a city, but then at the same time it does. Yeah. So just kind of like that, that slow, consistent faithfulness and in, in the vocation that God's clearly given you and even pushed you into uh, and shaped you and, and guided you through. There's something about what God's trying to do to bring the kingdom through that. Yeah, absolutely. How have you seen God kind of shape you and like the spirit disciple you in this vocation? One thing that I think I've seen pretty consistently is just dealing with real people. And I think it's a frustration. I talked earlier about how the clients are one of the best parts about being a public defender. It would be very easy to answer that the other way too, and say that the one of the hardest parts about being a public defender is working with the clients because mm. a lot of times they are folks who are not the reason why they got themselves into a mess that they're in might be because of parts of, of who they are. And those come through in the, the client relationship as well. Um, and so that can be a big challenge, but I think that's one of the ways that God has really continued to form me is kind of that daily choice of whether I'm going to choose bitterness and disrespect, you know, just coming in and clock in, clock out because these people are frustrating or whether it's a chance to step back and reflect on my own relationships and just the need the folks have and just sort of calming down and taking a deep breath and re- refocusing to, to restart based on the, the principles that got me into it and the, the faith that has motivated me. Um, and I think that that doesn't necessarily happen when it's an easy situation or it's just straightforward or there's not pressure. So it's kind of that pressure in those relationships that hmm. I think has built a degree of empathy for really hard to work with people um, that I probably wouldn't have if I didn't have to work with so many people that are hard to work with, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and you asked earlier about how does that, you know, connect with church and family. It's like, I think it, it all flows one way to the other. Like a lot of times my children are hard to deal with and I lose my, my patience, you know, with them as well. But it, it's kind of complimentary where I think I'm getting built up in my, my job to know like here it's a professional obligation as well as my own commitments. And then at home, it's a different set of drivers, but I'm bringing that sort of built up skill there. And, and I think, you know, that it's the same in the church that people are people and they have right. problems. And as you're discipling and sometimes things are hard and sometimes you have to talk about the same thing a hundred times and you don't see a change you wish you saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all kind of, of crossing over. So I guess there's right. a degree to which I'm not just representing legal interests, but I am a counselor, which is another word used for lawyers where I'm advising clients on just life decisions and mm-hmm. discipling them in a direct way as well, which I guess disciples me. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I can, yeah, definitely see the, yeah, the, the repetition, not with children only, but also disciples and community and even caring for people in situations that they kind of got themselves into, you know, like, that's definitely like a part of it, but then also caring for people. And uh, yeah, usually there's this, there's this mess of things of like circumstances handed to them, you know, decisions they've made and also just the mess within them, you know, and yet as a family, we care for them and we all need to be cared for in that way. Yeah. I can see how that would translate really well. Yeah. Another thing as far as, um, being discipled. And I, I see this pop up in a few areas in my, in my life. 
for some people's motivations to get into the work, it's, you know, to be an underdog, um, to fight the system, you know, to, to do those things. And it can be really frustrating when it doesn't go well. Um, and of course it is for me too, but one of the things I've experienced because I really see my role as a public defender as a sort of reenactment of the gospel in some ways, the most heinous crime, the hardest client amplifies that picture for me. It actually forces me to grapple with the true reality of what um, all people are facing before God. And I think in that sense, by my hardest clients and by the, the most heinous crimes, the clients who clearly did do what they're accused of, stepping in and fighting as hard for them is actually a way that I'm discipled because it, it pushes me forward to really see what the implications of what I believe are. Hmm. I guess another kind of line I have of questions is on what does it mean for the church to be more than just a Sunday, Sunday gathering for you? That's kind of a common theme as I've talked to people in this series has been if church was just Sunday mornings, then parenting totally looks different. Or if church is just uh, Sunday mornings, then my engineering vocation looks different. But what if for the church to be like all of life for, for like everything you do to matter, how does that transform or rub up against yeah, being a counselor in the city? Yeah, about eight years ago or maybe more now, our church underwent a transformation where we actually became a Soma church and it some of the paradigms around what church is really changed. It really wasn't a Sunday gathering itself that was the time where we came back together to recharge and to focus on god together and to be sort of energized for the real work of the church which is lived out together and we've had a few iterations of that in the past few years at one point we were throwing happy hours for our neighborhood on a weekly basis and doing brunches um, and just really saying hey our neighborhood is where our mission is and we invited other folks from our local church into it to do that together and that was sort of all-encompassing to where you know, coming into the the neighborhood, you couldn't walk down the street without planning an extra 20 minutes because you're going to run into somebody you built a relationship with. And before we had made that leap as a church, we really didn't have a lot of relationships in our neighborhood. But I think that one thing I've said to my wife and to other folks is once you made that transition, it kind of spoiled me for the the notion of a classic church on Sunday type of paradigm forever. I can't imagine being a part of a community that that treated it that way as if Sunday morning was the time you connect with God. And once you took care of that, then you went back to your normal business. Mm-hmm. Instead, I think it just permeates every part of your life. And, you know, I think my motivation and in, in work is a big part of that. But I think I always, as I talk about how exciting it is to have a calling that I feel like is rooted deeply in the gospel, I never want people to be discouraged in other types of, of work, because I really think that the same is true and that there's great dignity in all kinds of work. And I think that that's something that we need to be teaching and encouraging people and that the way we go about our business and the relationships we have with, you know, coworkers or clients or whoever, uh, that that really is the work of the church as well. And our families, I think one of the things I've seen uh, really lived out by the church is that the family is not this sort of insular module where maybe they get some Sunday school education and then that's it. But we have people now that we have four kids, we have people in our home every single day from our church, mm-hmm. um, whether that's someone who we're paying as a nanny or coming by to babysit for the night or people from our missional community who have, you know, kids who are also friends. I think there's rarely a day that goes by where we're not interacting and rubbing up against somebody 
who shares our commitments to, to life together, you know, having those moment by moment chances to disciple our kids. And when conflicts come up or tantrums or whatever, uh, yeah. the answer is actually in, informed by, by faith and you know, something that we work on together with the other folks in our group. And we do that the same for other people's kids as well. And that's just so much more of a, a holistic version of what the church is made of and what it's, what it's doing that, yeah, I can't really imagine just checking in and going about my business after that. Yeah. It's just so, it's amazing. I saw your youngest son, uh, walking across, across the playground this morning at the, at school while <laughs> hundreds of other kids were getting lined up for kindergarten and, you know, first through fifth grade. And there's your little, like, uh, almost two year old running across the playground is, is really fun. And there is like this amazing beauty of like that Jesus is filling all things and that he's the hero of all things too. And that his church has been given this mission or or that God created a church for his mission. Yeah. It's just kind of humbling. And then to see like how each person kind of fulfills that, not just as individuals, but then collectively together. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been interesting over time. I think when we first started doing missional communities, as a, a way of thinking about church, uh, we were able to to pour out ourselves in a different way than we are in the current season of our life. Hmm. And right now we have a missional community that our mission is really to care for families that are facing instability. And it's been a, a humbling and hard transition to, to realize that sometimes that's, that's my family. I mean, we made the decision a few years ago to start fostering with the hopes to adopt. And it's been incredibly rewarding, but also one of the most challenging experiences of our lives. And so our capacity has been a little bit different about how many happy hours we can have and how many people we can have over. Right. It hasn't changed the the underlying core of what we're doing because we now are, are learning to ask more to involve people and inviting people into our family situation and acknowledging um, that that's part of our mission as well. And that the kids we brought into our home who are our kids now you know, they're part of, of what we are, we're setting out to do and that other people can be on mission by, by loving them and being involved. And it's been hard not to feel like, you know, I'm the one out there doing as much as I was at a certain point, but I think that's also a natural and healthy part and an opportunity too to invite other people to, to step up and be creative and to, to step into some of those places. Yeah. That's such a great point because yeah, cause you've been doing this for, for quite a while realizing that there's different seasons where the same principles, the same values, like your identity hasn't changed yet. Like what you do. Yeah. Mission being every day, all day. And then the the mission of God of restoring all things and then having children in your house that you're caring for uh, as parents uh, is an all day, everyday thing. You know, that you're like that you're stepping into and it's not just your job, it's not just fostering, it's not just the community around you, it's not just your neighbors, it's all of those things, and you begin and see like God ordering those things in different ways. That's mm-hmm. yeah, that's really cool. One kind of final question I have is maybe kind of like big picture. So as people listen to this podcast, it's actually uh yeah, a lot of a lot of ordinary folks listen to this podcast. I'm super thankful it's not just a bunch of pastor people. And I know that there's people out there listening who are in 
in the the justice keeping justice making mercy extending realm of of our culture so there's there's cops and lawyers and advocates and all of these these folks policymakers like uh just from your perspective like how would you encourage them in the gospel as they they go about doing those challenging exciting and and rewarding stuff i would encourage them to to kind of do what has been really fruitful for me which is rooting my motivations deeply in the gospel and desiring to see it reflected or reenacted in the daily tasks i think that there's a particular component of that that the public defender feels really well and really uniquely but i think that that's true uh and could be explored in ways i probably have never even been able to um mm-hmm. as a district attorney a prosecutor police officer and i would certainly think we would all benefit if, if the folks on that side of the justice community were coming from that motivation of, of wanting to fulfill the gospel and reenact it and bring God's love to bear. I think it would change the way that um, interactions are done with potential suspects or with uh, mm-hmm. criminal defendants. You know, if, if the same dignity was being extended from the other side, even in the midst of understanding that um, it's appropriate for, for justice in the human sense and the penal sense to be brought in a lot of situations, um, I think it would change the way that's brought about and it would create much more compassionate uh, results and that family members and communities would end up uh, bettered rather than, you know, some of the stuff that I think has appropriately been taking a lot of attention in the media about the disproportionate incarceration of minorities and blacks and the policing of those communities. I think that uh, the gospel has a lot to, to say that would transform some of those things that have, have been problematic in the past. Um, and I don't think anyone's saying we don't need police or that prisons should not exist at all. But I think the more that um, people dig into the type of love and the, the, the greater story of the gospel, the more that those institutions would be um, executed in a way that would be just and merciful. Yeah, those massive challenges facing our cities. I think often we want to find a singular person or step in the process that needs to be transformed. And then we begin to realize of man, for, for God to make this city new, it's going to be 20 different people in that whole, that whole chain of events, you know, that, that the gospel renews, like the whole system needs a gospel perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Super encouraging. Anything else you'd like to add just on, yeah, the intersection of your work and your identity in Christ and his mission. Um, I'm not sure if it's exactly on on those intersections, but one thing that I think is people often wonder about uh, as far as a public defender is like the classic question of like, how do you represent those people? I already touched on it quite a bit earlier as far as the dignity of all people and how it's an even stronger representation of the gospel when something heinous was done. But I know it personally, I had the same concern when I first became interested in the role and I actually forced myself to, to really confront it. And I went, I was a clerking for the public defender over the summer. And I really had that question, you know, what's like the most heinous thing I can think of. And could I represent that person? Like, and I think underneath that, there's a bit of theology, like does God still love that person? Is that person still Mm -hmm. worthwhile? Um, And so I went and I found a trial that was going on, uh, you know, the really heinous sex offense. And they actually had the, the young victim of the young girl testifying in a trial before jurors. Um, and you know, it's, it's the public defender, it's the defense attorney's job to 
to cross-examine that person and to ask questions to the benefit of your client, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, as a compassionate person is <laughs> very hard pill to swallow. I mean, mm-hmm. you might handle that differently for strategic reasons, but I think you have an ethical obligation as a defense attorney to do whatever would be beneficial to your client. And I just sat there and I had a deep feeling of maybe disgust. I had a very visceral feeling sitting there and imagining myself sitting next to him. But then I just was able to pull that back into, you know, how does God see this person no matter what he's done? Um, And was like, yeah, you know what? I have a God that's big enough for that. And so I can in faith move forward in that, even if it's hard, even if it's really hard. And I can be faithful to that person, even if it's really hard. Uh, And that was kind of a turning point. Once I, I sat there and had that sort of mental exercise. I've been kind of all all in since then, and and wanting to pursue this as my my vocation. Yeah, wow! I've never even thought about that reality of it. Other than yeah, you know, normally think about like, oh, how could you, you know, defend someone who's guilty? I think that you know, my answer I think would just go towards, oh, well, it's my job, so that's what I would do. Everybody needs someone, but what you're describing is even more centered on the reality that we've all been created in the image of God. And Jesus loves us all so much that he would die for us, rise again for us. And so each person has dignity and is worth defending even of the most awful things. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Thanks so much, Ryan, for, for sharing and for joining the podcast. Um, any resources out there that, that you found to be really helpful for others who want to dig in more to this topic or even the lawyers out there? Funny you should, funny you should say that because I recently was asked by a law school class to come in and, and share about the public defender role for like ethics of government or something like that. And I found this, this old article. Um, it's a law review article called The Calling of Criminal Defense. Um, it's from a and I think she described herself as an ethnic Jew and the co-author was a lapsed Catholic, but they actually go through and do a lot of exegesis and even looking at different saints and just the whole process of, of what is the religious moral underpinning of, of criminal defense. And then it goes through some of the specific um, ethical quandaries, like the one I was just talking about, they kind of process through from that lens. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting thought exercise at least to get started. The author's name is Abby Smith. I don't remember the co-author. It was about the year 2000 or so called The Calling of Criminal Defense from the Mercer Law Review. So mm-hmm. that and the book, the book Indefensible by David Fage, not so much from a religious uh, perspective, but it's a great uh, what's a day in the life of a public defender. And she's a very compassionate person, too. So some of that common grace stuff comes through through him really well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Great. Thanks. Well, uh, I'll try to find those and add those to the, the show notes later so people can find them. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks for sharing uh, this part of your life with us today and super encouraging and, and challenging to hear. So yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate you too, Brad. Thanks. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.